Hey, good morning, everyone. It's Wednesday, and we're looking at an article locally, Charlotte, North Carolina. And by the way, did you guys see T4G? Um, did you all get an email yesterday about a conference recommendation? Yeah, from um, no. what's his name, Kevin DeYoung. Yep. Kevin DeYoung's doing a T4G conference, uh, not you know, like like a T4G like conference next year, March ten through fourteen. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, <clears throat> in Charlotte. Yeah, and they, um, the focus of their conference is they're going to have exegetical preaching sessions, they're going to have historical or biographical narrative sessions, um, and then like more of the, the hot topic, current issues. Um, so H.B. H. Charles was one of the speakers, yeah, Piper, Piper was a speaker, obviously Kevin DeYoung would be one. Yeah, those were the, the few that Bilkey, I... Joel Pitt, Bilkey from you know, um, um, yep. the um, Upper Michigan. Audio. Lincoln Duncan, I think, was... I mean, he sent out the email, so I think he'd be a speaker, right? right? Um, y'all didn't get that email? Yeah, no. Because Ligon, um, whichever emails you all had set up for your T4G registration, because I actually got it from two emails. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but Ligon mentioned that he and Dun- um, DeYoung both are, are professors. So right. I would so imagine they're both there. Total attendance won't be more than about 2,000, um, based upon the size of the church. The size of the church they're hosting it in. Um, so that's Christ Cathedral, right? Christ something. No, Covenant something. Christ Covenant. Yeah, I didn't remember. You got the that. email, Mike? I did, actually. I, it's I right there, right? It right now, yeah. Christ Covenant Church in Matthews. Yeah, I yeah. thought it was just a little weird because the icon popped up that I got an email for T4G. I'm like, that's over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we should go, right? I mean, why not? Info at yeah, for Charlotte. Charlotte, that's right. Right. Three-hour drive for us. Yes. If Steve's driving, only two and a half. Right, exactly. We'll put it on the calendar. Are we on the recording? I don't know. Yes, we're on the recording. <laughs> we're definitely on the recording. Yeah. This is us unfiltered. Bonus <laughs> nuggets for everyone who tunes in today. Yeah, this is not some filtered, professionally edited podcast. I just didn't want to say win-win on the recording. This is oh, just it, was a, a, it is a win-win. Yeah, this is a, a bunch of uh, preachers just talking <clears throat> every Wednesday morning. So the, anyway, the article's got one, two, three... Uh, six, at least six pictures. I thought it was more when you said Looks it like to me. S- I, there's a seventh address with no pictures. And these are all churches in the greater Charlotte area that are for sale. And some of them quite pricey, like a million dollars kind of for sale. Yep. And if you look at the pictures, these are not like these are not shabby looking churches like mm-hmm. the one I posted on Facebook. These are um, nice buildings. Lots of square footage. <coughs> and, Some uh, of them look like they have quite the heritage, too, based upon... One looks like it's Southern Baptist. Yep. With the pillars in the front. And then the other one, that looks more, what, Lutheran? Well, like the, the North big, Elm Street one? Uh, I think the bottom one's probably a Methodist one, is my Methodist, guess. Methodist, the North Elm yes. Street, Marshville mm-hmm. one? Yes. Yep. Methodist, okay. Yep, definitely. Yeah, the, no, the Nebo School Road one, and the bottom one on the front front page. Four, anyway, we're looking at pictures um, that, for those of you listening to audio of some really nice looking churches. And we'll have the article attached in the description. Yeah, and uh, they're for sale. So if you're looking for a church, you can just buy your own uh, and then start one. That's what Mark Driscoll did. You see how that worked out for him. And um, Both times. Yeah, both times, right. Or you could turn it into a, a mega home. Sadly, I'll, I'll mention it in the article, but that's what I, I ran into when we went to Toronto and went to New York on a couple different trips, mission trips, where people had bought um, a church in Toronto and turned it into apartments, and then uh, both in Toronto and then in New York City, where it had been turned into mosques, um, Hindu temple, and Buddhist temple. Yeah, it's... Um 
it's really troubling. Yes. Um, I mean, we just <clears throat> need to kind of change the tone of the podcast because this is grave. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a laughing matter in any way. No, it's in, in, indicative of a failure to, and then fill in the blank, a failure to reproduce. Yes. Failure to get along. Healthy organisms reproduce, and we have stopped reproducing churches, reproducing church members, because we're not being healthy anymore. Let's see what the article says and see what we need to talk about. So instead of a full house on Sunday morning, some churches are sitting empty. It's a crisis for many churches, and for sale signs are going up across the Carolinas. Several churches are listed for sale near Charlotte right now, um, several that we listed prior to. Some of their price tags exceed a million dollars. Channel 9's Dave Faraday visited several places of worship where he spoke with pastors about the impact of the pandemic and the difficult decisions to sell. Jack Mace's home sits across the street from Nebo United Methodist Church, which voted last summer to permanently close. At one time, he and his wife attended services there. He had a front row seat to the decision leading up to the closures as he watched the parking lot have fewer and fewer cars every Sunday. It's kind of depressing, he said. It was just always a good church, good people, and then the older crew kind of died out, and that was it. The historic church, which was built in 1920s, uh, isn't alone. According to LifeWay Research, 4,500 Protestant churches closed in 2019, outpacing for the first time the number of churches that opened. In Rutherford County, First Baptist of Spindale announced in a letter last summer it too was closing, citing a steady decrease in our church family and a decrease in contributions. Because of the size of the church buildings, most of the contributions were being spent on maintenance. Dr. Rick Reed is a bishop at St. Andrew's Anglican Church. His congregation of about a dozen members worships in a room of another church near downtown Newton. He has seen other churches forced to close. God is not the center of most families anymore, Dr. Reed said. Families have become busy, two incomes, and so therefore the church is not as important. I'm most done with the article, folks. It's, yeah. it's, it's rather short. It, it's not going to say anything theological. It's all just a very pragmatic article. Black churches across the Carolinas, which are still feeling the impact of the pandemic, are experiencing a similar phenomenon. Pastor David Roberts at Morningstar Baptist said they are still taking precautions for their older members with a space set up in the basement, but many smaller churches didn't stay open. For those looking not to go to church, COVID helped them out, Roberts said. But that, <clears throat> but what they wanted to do is hear the saying, misery loves company. They didn't want to go to church, but they didn't want no one else to go to church. Robert said to his church, said his church was forced to adapt, holding services in the parking lot and live streaming every Sunday, but never closing. Today, nearly 400 people watch services every Sunday, but that success didn't happen at all the churches. A lot of them shut down and are still struggling because they stopped coming, Robert said. They were older, they didn't have the ability to do a live stream, and now their members are in a habit of not going. But Roberts and other pastors say some of the problems with attendance began long before COVID. A study done by the Pew Research Center shows that the number of Americans who identify as Christian was at 64% in 2020, compared to 92% in 1972. Dr. Reed places a sign for his church service time in the parking lot every Sunday, and he hopes the trends change before it's too late. 
We want our folks to be like to be Christ-like and learn all they can about God and His Word. He said. <clears throat> kind of a depressing, abrupt, uh, kind of an ending. It's it's typical journalism. It's it doesn't have a conclusion. It's just reporting the facts. I think one of the interesting things that they highlight in here is a quote that we've all heard so much about church and that, you know, yeah, it's a good church, there's good people, and they're doing good things. The problem with that's not what Scripture calls us to be. Um, If we're just being a good church with good people and we do some good things, we're missing the whole mission. We're missing the whole Great Commission. We're not highlighting our purpose to bring glory to God. And so... Often it just turns into going through the motions, and it turns into decline. My parents' church will be there soon. The statement right here, and then the older crew kind of died out, and that was it. That's my parents' church. The only thing that's keeping it afloat now is the fact that the building, everything is paid for. So the little bit of tithing that they have pays for the pastor's salary and the lights to stay on. You know, looking in our own area here... Of course, me coming from the Southern Baptist world uh, before coming to Berean, working with the Baptist State Convention the previous eight years, my, strati- my statistics are up right in to the beginning of COVID. But up until the beginning of COVID, within the local association, which there's over 100 churches within that association in Cumberland County and a couple of the counties uh, next to it, there were only two churches that had shown consistent growth in numbers over the last five years. Two? Only two out of the the over 100. And so the rest were, their numbers were either plateaued or declining, but since our population is increasing in Cumberland County, then technically the ones that were plateaued in their numbers were actually in decrease because population was increasing around us. They weren't even keeping up with population growth. So the per capita was actually going down. Only two. Only two. And if you look at the 14 associations in the southeastern corner of the state that I interacted with in some level, uh, that was basically where it was across each of those associations which most of those associations were smaller, and so that would typically mean they might have one church that had shown consistent growth, some growth, over five years. Some would jump up and down, uh, but then eventually be plateaued or down. Uh, but looking at you know some growth over five years, uh, because to me that's, you're showing, you're moving forward numerically, when you look at at least a five-year time period. And let's just identify, this is really hard. I mean, this is hard. I I mean, I don't know how else to describe it. What are the reasons that you saw most? I mean, take your eight years of experience with it and give us some feedback. Summarize some of the things that are just critical. Well, I think we look at the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, And that was the heyday for the churches in the Bible Belt. And the numbers increased and they grew. Part of that was the builder generation. 
the builder generation are all about gathering together in corporate entities. If we look at after World War II, that's where we've got the Elks, that's where we got the American Legion, that's where we got the Lions Club. You know, we got all of these organizations because the builder generation, they loved to be in corporate relationship. And so that played right into as the churches became much more business-like and more organized, that just played right into their wheelhouse. And so we had that big growth. <clears throat> when we start looking at then the, the boomers and then the X and then now millennials and Z, we less and less look to corporate gatherings and as fulfilling a personal need. So that's part of the decline that we've been seeing. Another part of it is everybody focused on just the Sunday morning gathering. It was just one event in a week. And over time, people start to see that it's really not living a Christ-like life. It's, I'm just doing this one thing once a week. And then people started to see through that. And it was like, well, they're not living that way Monday through Saturday, so why should we be part of that? So that causes a decline. So you mean it was actually authentic? Being true to themselves? What do you give me another way to look at that question? Well, you have you're saying six days a week. I don't. I'm not He's saying it. that they were just no, checking yeah. the box on Sunday yes. and that they weren't living the life. So they actually became transparent I... and authentic. Yes. Yeah. So you. So yeah. Yeah, so they started to live Sunday the actual way they were Monday through Saturday, which means no God. Right, right. and I think that just um, <clears throat> if you look at human behavior over the past hundred years, what we've seen is that that has become, you know, people have become more and more, they feel more comfortable um, doing what they want without social. So the, the social element that there that was restraining them has been thrown off to a certain extent for you know, people would attend church who weren't really honest believers uh, back in the 60s, the 50s, because it's what you did socially. But especially after like Woodstock and, and mm -hmm. all the hippies, you know, that was rejected. Um, and, you know, like you said, it's, it's kind of ironic with like Woodstock because the whole point of Woodstock was to be anti-corporeal and that the idea was you're going to be your own self. And this, this theme has just you know, crescendoed since then till now, it's just, you know, incredibly um, out there that you, you know, you've got to be true to your own gender, true to be your own identity. And so I think people just feel less and less inhibited to have to lie about what they are to please somebody else, um, just as in a social manner. So then in reality, it, it could very well be that the church is not in decline. No, if you're looking at the sheep and the goats, mm -hmm. it might have been that for years you had a lot of Matthew 7 Christians. That wheat, the wheat and the tares are just so intermingled in the pews that it was just nearly impossible to identify. So do you think that COVID just accelerated what was inevitable? Yes. Just subjectively looking at the numbers, it seems like it sped up maybe five to ten years faster within that one main year of COVID. Yeah, and therefore you have to kind of, I mean, it is it is disappointing. It is a struggle. There's a tension here in my heart between church closings. But if you're, if you're looking, and we, you use the term sheep and goats, 
God is doing that. He's separating it out. And if we believe that God is sovereign in things like COVID, it could be that he's also doing that now to purify the church. And, you know, that's a struggle because I think even though I'm not part of the builder generation, I still have that kind of builder mentality where, you know, I want to go to something large. I want to be a part of something big. And I think that, you know, my maybe my generation a little bit, but my dad's generation, they wanted to be a some part of something big. And um, to to not have that. But I also know that in the scripture, Jesus says they're not going to love you. And they're going to, they hated me, they're going to hate you. And, and that the, the numbers aren't going to be on your side. So, there's this tension, this struggle um, in, inside yourself about you know, even our, our gatherings, you know. Well, would you characterize the nation in general as, as more secular today than it was during the, the builder generation? Oh, definitely. And so I think you could see this trend from when they started taking God out of the school, right? For You know, they, they used to have Ten Commandments to school, no more. And you just see this trend of where the absolute truth kind of dissolves and it's parallel to this decline in attendance and in the closure of churches but yet i wouldn't blame the decline on taking the bible out of school or taking prayer out of school i think that's a symptom i think it was the inconsistent living of the adults and households that attended church Mm-hmm. That the net, then their children saw that inconsistent living, and so that's what's caused the decline. Right. Uh, so often, I think people, especially those Christians that want to be American Christians, mm-hmm. you know, uh, they want to blame things like when they took prayer out and they took Bible out. No, that didn't cause it. That's just a symptom. Mm-hmm. The, Mike, the nice the nice thing about blaming the government for taking prayer out is it takes the onus or the culpability from the church and casts it away to another entity. Yes. You know, so we don't have to say we failed in executing the Great Commission. We failed in being disciples and making disciples. We failed in portraying authentic Christianity. We, we can just hopefully cast aspersions to that bad government that didn't do the right things. And then if we can elect a new Messiah then he can bring those things back, and then he'll be the savior it also of the makes, church. It also makes the answer real simple. Just get the prayer back in the schools. Right. Which doesn't fix the problem. No. And I think you're right. It, it even goes further back. I think you got to go all the way back to the Enlightenment. And I think that it's just that inevitable... I mean, even the founding of our nation has a lot of Enlightenment ideas in the documents, in the idea... Uh, of, you know, like we're going to be this grand and glorious manifest destiny, all of these things that, you know, we humans can build. Um, and, and there were some, uh, you know, attributes to God, and some men were deeply um, God-fearing, and others were just, you know, you know, say God because that's what you do in the society. But what I think happened is those thoughts, you know, then you get Darwin. And then, and so, and then what we have is Christians who are appearing, they say, they, they, they believe the Word of God, but in their thought, they really are enlightened and they're humanistic in many ways. And that's why their behavior doesn't match what they say they believe. And so it, it was just like an inevitable swell, um, you know, to the idea that, you know, the pursuit of happiness written into our documents, um, that's not really a biblical idea. I mean, God is shaping our lives, not man pulling themselves up by their best bootstraps as long as we can get the perfect society going. 
Do we really think that society is getting more secular or has gotten more secular, or that society is now just more comfortable and more brazen with their secularity? Yeah, that's that's the big question. You know, because, I mean, obviously we, we don't have super detailed records of all of history. But, I mean, even going back and looking at the biblical narrative and what some societies got themselves to, I mean, Sodom and Gomorrah are, de- are destroyed over their sin and that's just rampant throughout the community. Okay, the, the Tower of Babel, the, the, the nations are separated because of their blatant disregard for the word of God to disperse and fill the earth. <clears throat> I think it's all cyclical. Yeah, I go along with the cycle because if we think about, you know, modern day Turkey, you know, that was the hotbed of Christianity first century. If we look Italy and then Spain, France, Germany, and then the United Kingdom and then the United States, you saw this cycle of the hotbed of Christianity and an upswing in church growth and numbers. But then over time, you saw it plateau off and then in decline. And so, like Turkey now is less than 2% you know, believers and slightly better percentages than that across the other countries. And so, we're following that same pattern. And the church in other world or other, yeah. other parts of the world, third world countries, is growing. So, but it's not that you know, the power of God is in decline in any way. But even when you, I know when I went on the trip with Lauren at Bob Jones, um, when her choir went overseas, we were in Budapest and Hungary, or, um, well, we went up there, but uh, another place, I forget where the other Czech, one was. Czech Republic? No, it was down by Budapest somewhere, but anyway, but just, you know, we did a couple of trips where you, you know, went and learned about the history of the country, and it's just, you know, this country that's thousands and thousands of years old and then they would talk through how you know just the rise and fall of the country where you know they were at the top of their game and you know then they just collapsed and then they grew back and collapsed and you know it's just you could see the cycle of it and I think the same with sin in in scripture we see the same you know you you know, because we hear that today, you know, well, I can't believe Christ hasn't returned yet. Well, okay, is it as bad as it was in the days of Noah? Is it as bad as it was in the days of... The judges. Right, the judges. Or, you know, I'm, you know, I'm reading through Ezekiel, right? You know, I just did Isaiah, Jeremy, you know, I'm going through the major prophets and whatever. And, you know, and you just, you know, you, you're reading about, okay, you know, people are going to eat their children. And you're going, man, how, you know, how debauched is that? You know, that I would literally kill my child and eat them because I'm so hungry. It's like, you, I can't even fathom that. And yet, we know it came, you know, and yet we know it happened. Well, like, Pastor, you're doing First Corinthians in your Sunday school class. You know, I just keep going back to how many times Paul wrote and visited the church at Corinth and how messed up the church at Corinth was, let alone the city of Corinth. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was terrible. Yeah, I just, oh, Steve, I always jokingly say when someone says, oh, it's just, you know, declining, declining. I'm like, well, at least we're not smashing babies against rocks, you know. Yeah, I, I, mean, I mean, there's some reality to that. I mean, you see, I don't know, you, you know, you read things in the Old Testament and you think, could it get any worse than that? Well, obviously, I guess it can because Christ hasn't returned yet. <laughs> you know, it's going to get bad. What, I mean, what's fascinating to me is, if you think about it, you know, throughout most of history... Um, the land that we're living in was largely unpopulated and undiscovered by 
the you know the, mm-hmm. the known world, and and that just sometimes it just blows my mind. Mm-hmm. I mean, just how and really, un, un, you know, last maybe two to three hundred years is when it's really been developed. And you all know this. You go to your hometown, you haven't been in a while, and they put up all these buildings, and you go. That was nothing but a field when I left. Mm-hmm. And you know, you got a Walmart and a Target, and, a, and it's just like, it seems like it's, it is increasing speed and picking up speed, you know, the, the way that it's being developed. So, Mike, what were the characteristics of the, the few churches that were not in decline, that were either uh, were, were experiencing some degree of success? Expository preaching, which means preaching through Scripture by text-driven sermons. They were focused relationally, trying to grow relationally, both corporate and small groups. Um, They saw a purpose. They saw a mission. They saw outside their building. They did not want to be internalized. They they wanted to reach the people that were outside of their church. Um, Those were the key characteristics in the churches that were growing. So I I visited one of our previous pastors on staff, Bill Sturm, and um, in, in typical Bill fashion, he'll listen to this, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I stayed with him, um, went to his church, and then stayed on Monday, and we attended a um, Southern Baptist meeting at a, at a p- local place, and they were talking strategy and things like that. Did you see when they were in the churches that were in decline that an unwillingness to the pastors to go to those meetings, or are they required to go? Oh, no, nothing's required. Um, I mean, is it leadership? Like, they're getting lazy? Or are they really trying hard going to those meetings and it's just not working? I think across the board, most are continuing to do what they've always done. And so they have the perfect systems in place for the results that they're getting. And they're missing those last components that I just mentioned they were building off of the builder generation wanted to attend. Uh, as you had mentioned earlier, within most of the Bible Belt, being at church on Sunday was part of the community mm-hmm. because if you're selling insurance or you have a local business, you, know, you need to network, and that was the best place to network in the Bible Belt. And so <clears throat> it seemed like in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, we were doing church right and better, and we were seeing higher numbers. I don't think we actually were. I think those were those higher numbers were more because it was part of the cultural connective. I think behind the scenes, we actually started to decline because we started to move away from the Great Commission. We started to move away from personal disciple-making, where I would disciple people around me where I would build relationships with lost people and help them to come to Christ and grow them and be able to do the same thing. And we turned it into a production. And for a while, that production was great and people loved it. Mm. But then over time, they just didn't need it anymore. There's a lot of other better productions in other things that they can go and participate in. So to what degree, Mike, does that contribute to the idea that the preacher, I'm involved in that production, I'm the main character of that production on Sunday, so my week is spent getting ready for that production, and then, and they, and, they, and that's still their mindset. They still have yes. not lost sight that, that there's more to being a pastor than preparing for the big, 
big production on Sunday morning. Yes, and that's where you know, typically the average pastor is in their office most of the time at the church building. They're not building relationships within the church family and not building relationships outside the church family. My, my subjective opinion is most pastors are introverted, and that plays right into being introverted is you can be in your study, digging in God's Word, which we should when we're going to preach, but yet they turn it into a negative because then they lack relationship, they lack relationship. And then we also have to admit that in most of the churches over the last 20 years, we've gone from preparing three messages a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, to in many churches only delivering one message. So then what are they doing with the time that they used to use to prepare the second and third message? And I'm not saying that all pastors are lazy, but often we can get caught in a rut. And So what impact do you think that, um, or, or is it just a blip, the young, restless, and reformed, that generation that brought about that? And, I mean, how did that impact the Southern Baptist Church with the, the neo-reformed um, you know, Viewpoint. So I think that when younger people, we'll just say the younger X and millennials, started to understand more of the sovereignty of God, they started to see a more consistency of life and living that God is calling people to, and that spoke to them. And so that's why we saw that rise of a more reformed within the SBC world. But yet, even in those churches, it started to taper in recent years sure. or plateau. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I have a question, Mike. When you were um, talking about the the generations that have gone by, that you went, you needed to go to church to network. So I'm not saying that this is the drive, mm-hmm. but I'm asking what role does moving to the new social network platforms in a church's presence there and the amount of energy they spend there play into some of what used to be done. If churches, because if if that was the reality that 60 years ago social networking was assembling together with local people so that you could make your connections, if the current trend in our nation and even across the world is social networking whether that be through a platform like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, what role should a church be utilizing in those platforms to be available to scratch that itch? I would say we need to use that as a positive tool, but yet nothing's going to beat a personal relationship. And so we shouldn't ignore those. We should take advantage of those those as tools, but yet we have to see individually, each of us as believers, that we have been given a a great commission, and that means I need to build relationships with lost people so that they can see the gospel through me, and then I can talk to them about the gospel, and then once they're a believer, I can help them to grow in Christ-likeness, and we continue that cycle of the great commission. It's only going to be through personal relationships that that happens. But we should use that tool, though, because that can be part of it. But definitely that the idea of mass communication 
has killed the need or, or, or pushed back the need for meeting on Sunday to social network. Um, because if you think about it, even before the internet and before, um, you know, Facebook, LinkedIn, and other things, um, you know, we had a cable TV, and we saw the rise of television preachers and people who would, you know, stay home, watch television preacher, and think they've gone to church. No. Um, and so, you know, um, there's no social interaction there, but it was just the move towards it now. You know, if some, you know, if I, if I need insurance, you know, it used to be people had to knock on doors or mail a mailer to contact their clients. But now, you know, if I need insurance, I go and Google it. You know, who, who am I going to go to for insurance? And so it's a whole different Five world. Five-star review person. Yeah, it's a whole different world because the church is unneeded as a social interaction place. Sure. But I don't want us to end on all negative. Because I know within this room, we all believe that the Word of God is still powerful. And we all still believe in the power of relationship, whether it's vertical love relationship or horizontal love relationship. And so I think we all believe that we individually and corporately can move back the other direction. But it's going to take an intentional effort to live on mission, to be the church, and to turn back the, the swing of attending church. And it's going to be one person at a time. And then as, as we're growing and we can influence the churches around us, as people that are church members with us here at Berean move to other communities and other churches, if they can help those churches to also reverse the trend, I believe that revival is still possible in America because I believe in God. But yet, we have to be honest about where we are and what direction we're heading, though. And we can't live with our head in the sand and be like, oh, yeah, churches are good. They're full of good people and they're doing good things. I think it's so hard because to to plateau is to be building your church, Mike. Correct, yes. <clears throat> So we need to be honest. If we can get most churches back to plateau, that's moving forward. And if we can get them back to addition, that's a huge step. But what we need, though, is we're going to have to get back to multiplication level, where we're going from two to four mm -hmm. to eight. That's what it's ultimately going to take when you think about that we have around 200,000 lost people in Cumberland County. We have 5.8 million lost people in North Carolina. We have almost 250 million lost people in the United States. We have over 7 billion lost people in the world. If we really believe that God is calling us to take the gospel to all of those lost people, then we have to have the mindset we've got to get back to multiplication level. The multiplication level that we see in the first century church, that we see in the book of Acts. Now, that wasn't human built, but it was the power of God through surrendered believers that were living life on life together. The community around them saw God in them, the way they lived, the way they talked, right. and God added to the church daily. Mm -hmm. And by that we mean the true church, Mike. Correct. Correct.
the sheep. Mm-hmm. And we also see things like, you know, the sacking of Rome and the other things that, um, that really led to spreading Christianity by God forcing through human interaction and historical things, spreading them out of Jerusalem, getting them out, because the command was to go, but who knows if they would have if those things hadn't, you know, if the temple hadn't been destroyed and the persecution hadn't happened. You know, if they were just well accepted, who knows if they sure. would have. I mean, speculative, but <clears throat> certainly a possibility. So how do we end on a positive note? Christ promised in Matthew 16 that the gates of Hades won't prevail against his church. What I mean, how do we end on a positive note, Mike? If we look at where we are as the Berean family over the last five years, God is blessing us greatly. And I think that is because we have been very faithful in different things that we're doing, different things that we're trying. If we look at the numbers from 2018, and then there was that heavy 2019 PCS where our numbers drastically reduced, and then COVID hit. Through that time, though, we've been building back up. And I think it's due to the relational value that we bring to each other. As we have conversations with people that PCS are moved to other places, often I think we're hearing the same story that it's hard to find a church where they can have as much relationship. The Word of God is preached expositionally. We talk about and we see people that have PCS'd away from Fort Bragg and then come back to Fayetteville. And part of their coming back and wanting to get back in this area is because they want to be back in the Berean family. And so to me, we're heading in the right direction and we just need to continue to fan those flames. Uh, Not being, you know, prideful in thinking that we have all the answers because we don't. But if we can continue to be consistent and come alongside other people while we're also picking other people's brains and seeing, you know, what they're doing and uh, how they're living and can we, you know, learn from that. I mean, I just find it incredibly challenging. 16 years and we've not hit 800. And, you know, I mean, it's just like... And Josh, after spending 20 years in the Army, in which nearly every goal that I set for myself was met and achieved. Mm -hmm. I mean, just bam. You know what I mean? I mean, there's just... Just go for it and get it. Go for it and get it, you know? And one right after another. Setback, sure. Recycle once, sure. But, But achieving the goal... And, you know, Mike, for 16 years, it has just been hard. I mean, I just don't know how else to describe it. Not like crying, weeping for my sorrow, feeling sorry, but but not easy. Not able to achieve goals, you know? I mean, it, it, is, it is a different... If I look at my lawn care business and where it was and where it is now, every measurable metric would be a successful increase... I've not experienced that with the church. I mean, it, it, it's not some man-made thing. It, no. You know, it, it's a work of the Lord. It's a, it, it is. It, that, to me, it's the, the, the goal was that Acts 2 environment where they were surrendered and they were living together, life on life, living on mission, and then God brought the increase. Well, and yes, and you know, you look at, I won't name names, but you look at churches over the years where the church was built on the pastor and 
you know, that it grew and it exploded because of him or because of the, you know, he made it happen, well, for lack of better terms. And then when he leaves, dies, whatever, it just, it implodes. Because it wasn't Christ that built the church, it was him. Yes. You know, he built it on his own. And that's where we have to make sure that we can't go down that same pathway. And that, yes, people should be, you know, hearing your preaching and hearing the vision coming from you, and that should excite us and draw us, but yet Berean needs to continue to be built on the relationships of each of us with each other. It has to be built on something more than me. Yes. Because that that's proven everywhere that that's a failure, that that's just an utter failure. Yeah. That churches built on the personality of the preacher do not sustain themselves beyond his moral failure or his death or his retirement. I mean, even John Piper's church, which we would have looked at every single measurable metric and said that was a really successful work, is now just... And that's not to say that they weren't Christians or anything negative, but that's just saying that it's not the big church that it was. Right. And But at the same time, on the other side of that, God made John Piper, and he hasn't made another one yet. Right. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's very true. I mean, this, is, um, this requires everyone. This requires the entire congregation to... to take ownership of their responsibility to build Christ's church. That it's it's not the elder's job or the deacon's job or the staff's job. It's it's we're all given the commission. We're all responsible for making disciples. Um, within our own families, within our friends, neighbors, co-workers, the people we interact with. And that's kind of where we're going to leave it, with the reminder that we need to make disciples. Thanks for listening this morning. Have a great week.